an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner. The rise. The fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just 348 With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Dalver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina, who's been writing and covering the NBA for 538 and GQ. Michael, how does it feel to have a big Jalen Brown feature in GQ? How great does that feel? Um, wow, I was I was unexpecting this question. Um, it feels tremendous. Uh, one of the best interviews of my career, to be honest with you. I had a lot of fun talking to Jalen about a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with basketball. That means a lot to him. means a lot to me. So it was great. And it's also the first article I've ever written that will be in the print version of GQ. So go go cop that. Yeah, go cop that for sure. Are you going to frame it? Are you going to do anything fun to, to uh, recognize and memorialize the moment, Michael? To be honest, I would never do something like that, but my either my wife or my mother will almost definitely frame this, yes. <laughs> Look, ladies, Christmas is coming up, all right? Get on it. Make sure we uh, record this milestone for Mr. MVP himself. Uh, congratulations. Story looked awesome. Spread looked awesome. He was modeling a whole bunch of fancy Louis Vuitton clothing, all sorts of good stuff, so people should check that out. And there was a lot of substance to the article, too. I'm not trying to make it seem like <laughs> Michael went to Barbados and asked him about clothing. I mean, you guys got into a lot of heavy stuff. No, and uh, honestly, the photo shoot was the star of the story. I can't even front. Like The pictures were just so excellent. Beautiful. Welcome to the print world, Michael. Welcome to the print world, where we're always <laughs> overshadowed by the swimsuit models and the glossy photos. All right. Without further ado, we had a really fun and busy weekend of NBA transactions. I don't know if it was 
the craziest free agency we've seen. I, I, I'm curious where you think it might rank compared to previous years, but we did see well over $1 billion of contracts handed out over the weekend. We saw almost all of the major free agents besides Anthony Davis either agree to terms or sign an offer sheet in the case of Bogdan Bogdanovich. We saw the Lakers load up, in my opinion, and, and probably emerge as the early winners uh, of the first uh, two or three days of free agency. But Michael, I thought what we would do today, since we handed out draft winners and losers last week, I thought we would do the same thing, but with free agency this week, but I've come up with some different superlatives to help guide our conversation. So before we get into those superlatives, I want to know, how do you feel after the last couple of days of free agency? Are you feeling like a winner? Are you feeling like a loser? Has the competitive landscape of the league improved after all these moves? Are you disappointed that something hasn't happened yet or something that didn't happen? Just how are you feeling overall uh, during this frenzied time period? I feel rejuvenated, to be honest. Like, I'm ready for the NBA season to begin. Yes, because you've been such a sourpuss lately, Michael. (laughs) This is great. You're back in. I'm pumped. Um, I, you know, a lot of these moves, I'm not going to say I loved all of them, but just I I personally am just a fan whenever there's a decision made by a front office that shocks me because I feel like I have a pretty good handle on the pulse of the league and what's going to happen. So when something surprising happens, it's always fun that I just didn't see. And there were several moves that I just didn't, I mean, just like, I did not see them coming at all. And a lot of them were really bad that I didn't see coming. Um, but there were a couple good ones too. And so I can't wait to uh, can't wait to dig in with you right well, now. Well, now you've got me titillated. So what was the move over the weekend that had you just like holding your head in shock that you could not believe uh, somebody unfurled? I mean, man, uh, I, I, can we just start this conversation talking about the Lakers and, and kind of get it out of the way? Because I have a lot of nice things I want to say about them. You have a lot of nice so things maybe- you want to say because we got an awful lot of emails, Michael. And I screen the emails so that they don't get down on you too much. I don't mm-hmm. want them in your head because the Lakers fans, I'm just going to be honest with you, they, they don't like you and they don't like your analysis from the bubble where you said they were going to lose every <laughs> series. They're still very upset about that. And they wanted to come back around for another victory lap and say, look at us loading up, improving at every position, early 2021 title favorites. I don't really know the counter-argument against that line of thinking from the Lakers fans, but it sounds like maybe, are you hopping on board, Michael? So I I love their offseason. I think that it would have been a big mistake for them to just be stagnant because, I, I mean, I stand by just about all my analysis from the postseason, even though the Lakers won the title. I mean, they didn't have to face one team that had a net rating above four. Um, which is pretty significant. And that's not me being a hater. That's just like, I I think that Rob Palinka and the front office in LA agrees that what they had is probably not good enough or potentially not good enough to repeat. So that's why they made all of these decisions that basically revamped their entire rotation. Um, And just to be clear for the Lakers fans, when you hang that banner, you don't have to put any sort of a notation about your opponent's net rating on the banner. You You just get to say 2020 title champs, right? That is that is true. I think that they, thank you for pointing that out, Ben, because that is that is critical. I'm just um, trying to save you another round of emails, buddy, because they're going to say here he goes with the net rating asterisk after trying to talk about the bubble asterisk, and uh, they're going to be upset. But uh, so you think that I mean, how would you characterize? I guess the sum total of their moves, right? Just to summarize. Rondo is out. He goes to Atlanta. Danny Green's traded mm-hmm. uh, to Oklahoma City and then on to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. 
kind of they replace those guys with Dennis Schroeder from Oklahoma City. They bring in Wesley Matthews to replace Green. They re-sign Catavius Caldwell-Pope on the clutch special. They bring in Montrez Harrell and uh, Mark Gasol at the center position, overhauling that spot, allowing Dwight Howard to leave for Philadelphia and, and trading JaVale McGee to Cleveland. Um, I guess when I look at those moves, I would say it's a very almost ruthless or cutthroat uh, realignment of the roster. It's sort of like if you didn't really play well during the playoffs, if you weren't you know, completely like a locked-in helpful piece in those bubble playoffs, you're probably gone, right? Uh, I mean, Danny Green was a little bit of a letdown. JaVale McGee was a little bit of a letdown. They said goodbye to those guys instantly, and they had very logical targeted plans to, to replace them. I think there are some concerns. Marcus Saul looked old during the playoffs, just kind of flat out did. Montrez Harrell did not play. He needs to rebuild his value, um, I think, on the court, but also heading into next summer's free agency. I think that's part of the reason why he goes to the Lakers to try to have a, a little bit of a showcase. Um, and then Schroeder, you know, he lacks Rondo's experience and veteran savvy. But those are some really good, uh, in the cases of Harrell and uh, and Schroeder, athletic players. And I think you can make mm-hmm. a strong case they're they're deeper and they're even better fitting than they were last year. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, basically the last the the defending champions added the two best bench players from last season, and just breaking it down like that, it's that's super. I don't think that's ever happened before. So, um, are you saying that LeBron had a shopping list and he's like, "We need to do, uh, we need to redo our bench. What should we do? Well, let's just pick up the the voting list for Sixth Man of the Year yeah, exactly. and just go right down and just <laughs> check their names off. What about that? Yeah. So you get Dennis Schroeder, you get uh, Montrezl Harrell. Who I, I mean, that was a total steal, um, and the ripple effects of that deal. Um, where he basically signs for the mid-level when he could have gotten more uh, from the Charlotte Hornets, who then had cap space to spend on Gordon Hayward, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, You know, uh, like that is just, that came out of nowhere. I did not see that. And that is a brilliant stroke by the Los Angeles Lakers because, I mean, I think I'm a little higher on Harrell than than you are. I understand that he did not play no, up to his not potential. Not at all. I'm with you. I love Harrell, man. I, I am I am yeah. pro Harrell. Always have been, and I think it was a, a really smart move for the Lakers. So let me ask you though, because that was a debate, right? It's like is Harrell overrated now because he played poorly in the bubble and he can't play defense and he's kind of a weird fit. Or has he become underrated just because he was on the Clippers and maybe if he goes to the Lakers, he's going to get all this attention that he didn't get in the past? I think I even said that maybe a year or two ago where when I profiled him, I was like, God, if this guy was a Laker, he would be 10 times more famous than he is right now. Mm-hmm. You're still on the pro Harrell side and how do you think he's going to fit with the Lakers stars? 100% I'm pro Harrell big time. Um, I, you know, I was looking up some of his numbers, particularly on the defensive end, because we all know how effective he can be as a role man. Like him and Lou Williams were just brilliant together. And like, I can totally see uh, a Dennis Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell pick and roll just feasting on opposing secondary units and letting AD and LeBron rest throughout throughout this regular season, which is going to be critical for them because it's such a condensed season and and they want to keep everybody fresh. So I think that that is a huge plus. But defensively, you know, Harrell is a a total energy guy and hustles out of his mind. That's his, his strength. But 
specifically, like, there's data. I was looking at Second Spectrum, and whenever Montrezl Harrell drops in the pick and roll, he's one of the better defenders uh, in the entire league, which stunned me, frankly. Um, you know, you don't think of him as a big rim protector, and he's, he's not a humongous rim protector, but... I think he's a little savvier uh, moving his feet and kind of baiting ball handlers uh, intelligently. So was watching a little bit bit of film with him there, and that is key because that's how the Lakers play defense. They drop a ton. They don't really switch too much. And playing Harrell at the five and Davis at the four or vice versa, however you want to switch it, I think that that can work on both ends. Um, so, I, I mean, I just love this move for them. I really like, I mean, we can go down the list and talk about some of the other moves they made. Well, I mean, Wesley Matthews. Hold on a second. Let me let me hop in on Harold sure. because, first of all, if you want to talk about a, a good way to cover up a player's defensive deficiencies, Michael, we could have you out there standing next to Anthony Davis and you're going to look like a better defender, right? That's so true. that's that would be number <laughs> one. Uh, I would also say offensively, not only can you envision this amazing, uh, you know, pick and roll attack with Schroeder, which you definitely can, um, but I could also see a situation where LeBron's bringing Harrell up in pick and rolls to try to get, you know, his defender, you know, to switch basically, right? Mm-hmm. And then you also have situations where you can surround um, LeBron and Harrell with three shooters now, and that's going to be a devastating attack. I think Harrell's actually in a better spot this year uh, with the Lakers than he even was with the Clippers. And it was a great fit for him, especially offensively with Lou Williams, like you mentioned, because uh, they have a better natural playmaker. Uh, for his teammates with LeBron James. They've got uh, a quality pick-and-roll guard in Schroeder, and they've got better defensive pieces to surround him. Also, if you're in a situation where you're playing him with Davis and Davis draws a double team, which he did a lot last year, that quick pass to Harrell for a cut and a dunk is going to be open all season long. And he's going to be getting lots and lots of easy baskets in ways that um, you know even guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George weren't really able to set him up with. So I think he's a better fit with the Lakers stars than he was with the Clippers stars. And remember, he was there before the Clippers stars got there. So he sort of had to adjust and mold his game around them. And uh, I think this winds up being kind of a win for uh, Harold. Now, in terms of Wesley Matthews, uh, you know, I think people should realize, you know, part of the benefit with that one is you're just taking him from Milwaukee, just like you took Harold from the Clippers. So when you're looking at, you know, what separates these top teams, like every piece counts. And I think that's helpful. I didn't think Wes had that much left in the tank, but I do think he's probably going to be sliding into a little bit of a a more manageable role with the Lakers. He was just kind of asked to do a lot in Milwaukee because their backcourt depth wasn't great. Um, Did you like that one as well? Yeah, I mean, you lose Danny Green, who, yeah, he probably didn't play as well as we thought he would in the bubble, but that's still a like important rotation piece and you have to replace them and they did with just about equal three-point shooting and potentially better defense um i was just fascinated by the fact that wes matthews essentially like this is a ring chase move for him sort of right and he just left the bucks to do it which i like i I mean that is something that we can think about (laughs) and have a big discussion about another time but um no, I liked Wes Matthews. The one thing I will say about uh, what the Lakers did that is a little worrisome potentially is I, I, like, I still think that they need um, like a beefier wing defender, a more versatile wing defender than what they have um, potentially to match up against the Clippers because, um, you know, there's just a lot on LeBron um, to defend guys like that right now. And so I don't know if Horton Tucker is going to be in the rotation or 
or what the deal is going to be if they're going to keep Kyle Kuzma. I don't think that that's really a great role for him. Um, so a little more size on the wing defensively is what they what they need right now, I would say. But otherwise, I mean, they it, this is just an A-plus offseason for them. It really is. And uh, later we were going to talk about who we thought the best executive was. I want to give a shout out here to Rich Paul. Uh, and, and technically he's not an executive, <laughs> but... He, look, when he first became an agent, and you'll probably remember this, there was some really like weird and ugly stare downs with like the Phoenix Suns over Eric Bledsoe or the Cleveland Cavaliers over Tristan Thompson. And I think that his presence bothered like the NBA establishment, right? They're like, who is this new guy? He's friends with LeBron. How is he going to like, you know, come out here and have all these hardball negotiating tactics and everything else? And even during last year's Anthony Davis chase, I mean, that got pretty messy with uh you know the trade request and everything else that they they had they went through to get him in in LA right I think what you're seeing in my opinion is Rich Paul take the next step in terms of his influence and power uh, within the league I mean this was just a methodical like chess master type offseason for the Lakers and Rich Paul was a part of every single step right he brings Harrell from the Clippers to the Lakers he gets Kentavious Caldwell Pope re-signed basically taking Danny Green's money in a situation where, you know, they're they're sending Danny Green out so that they have enough money to pay um, KCP. And you just go right, I mean, and all of it serves LeBron, LeBron's interest in terms of positioning him for a possible fifth title. So, you know, like if you're Rich Paul, you're sitting back here smoking a big cigar after the last couple of days saying, wow, like this worked out great. And on top of that, I think what he's really done is found and kind of sharpened his ability to create win-win deals, not only for his clients, but for the teams as well. Like, look, KCP is a great fit with LeBron. He should want to stay on the Lakers, right? Anthony Davis was a huge winner of the Anthony Davis uh, you know, sweepstakes last year because he gets his first ring after kind of uh, languishing in New Orleans for all those years. As I said, I think Montrez Harrell is going to be a, a winner coming out of this, getting a nice payday next summer once he sort of rebuilds his value uh, with a pretty clean fit and the Lakers. And you can even look at a player like Tristan Thompson, who I thought got dropped into an absolutely excellent fit for him and for the Boston Celtics, just because of the hole Mm -hmm. they had in their front line on a pretty reasonable contract, all things considered. So you throw on top that Rich Paul's got the number one pick in the draft with Anthony Edwards, and he's, you know, he's just got this ever growing uh, list of clients. Uh, look, I give Polinka a lot of credit too. Look, you're always going to give uh, you know the, the credit to the official GM. I think he's probably going to wind up winning Executive of the Year if this this uh, entire plan you know works out as they expect. But to me, Rich Paul is like an absolute gigantic winner from the weekend. And I don't know if I want to put him in the best executive category, but I I kind of <laughs> do. I kind of do, Michael. <laughs> I, I yeah, Rich Paul is one of the most respected and I guess feared uh, agents right now in the league, depending on what chair you're sitting in. Um, I think before we move on from the Lakers, we should really talk about real quick um, Anthony Davis, and you know he's unsigned right now as of us are recording this at one thirty Eastern time on Monday. Um, you know we're calling the Lakers big winners now. Anthony Davis is an unrestricted free agent. He opted out of his contract. He's eligible for a five-year max. You know, is there a scenario here where, like, you get a little bit, like, your enthusiasm dampers a little bit on their summer? Let's say if Davis wants to get back into free agency two summers from now or something like that. Like, is there any anything that can cause concern for you? 
with his situation? I don't think so because look, with a player as good as him, where he has, you know, he's going to be in the conversation here in the next couple of years as like the best player in basketball. A lot of times, those guys want to get to that ten-year service mark, right? Because then the super duper gigantic contract kicks in. So if his next deal aligns him so he can be a free agent after his tenth season that's not going to be a shock to anyone. I think you just sort of have to prepare for that. He has no mm-hmm. real motivation to lock in past that other than if he's just so completely happy in LA, he never wants to move and he's just ready to settle down and, and sink into the, the couch cushions and be good. Um, so I think either way, it's kind of a win-win if you're the Lakers. I also think, I mean, doesn't the idea of like superstars uh, staying in the same market for four or five years just feel antiquated right now? It's like, I think every single guy feels like is on a year to year lease, basically, right? So if you can even get him, you know, for two or three years, you're like, great, don't have to worry about that problem for a couple of seasons. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think you do have to worry, but because LeBron is 36 years old next season. And so, like, I think there's always you're always on pins and needles in the NBA if you're uh, in a front in a front office, regardless of, you know, um, who's on your roster. But like, I think that, you know, I I don't want to like ring alarms right now because we don't even know what the contract details are. But, you know, there is the technical possibility of him only being there for another two years or something like that. That's not something that's out of the question. Well, Um, let me ask you, worst case scenario, he leaves. If they win two titles in his first two years, are they still good? I mean, you know, it's like, didn't everybody? No, I mean, yeah, everybody won, right? I, I mean, and also, you know, if they win the title again, then, you know, I highly doubt that he will leave. I think he'll just, you know, live in Los Angeles as the king when LeBron hangs him up. Um, so that kind of would completely evaporate all my concern. Here's my concern um, for Anthony Davis leaving. If LeBron somehow sure. just falls off the cliff, right? If yeah. Father Time just decides, you know what, LeBron, that fourth ring was awesome. Great run through the bubble. We appreciate your work. I'm coming for you now. Like, if that happens, then I think you can sound the alarm on Anthony Davis. I think otherwise, for, if you're looking at his situation, how many years did he sit in New Orleans and watch them make weird moves like Omer Ashik, right? And this summer, they've got Rich Paul and Rob Palinka <laughs> lining up freaking Marquise Morris at the uh, minimum, Marcus Gasol out of absolutely nowhere, Montrez Harrell for basically a one-year, $9 million contract when we probably thought he was going to get like 60 or $70 million, uh, back during last year's regular season. You just go right down the list and you're thinking, yeah, we're, we're getting every guy we want. Everyone wants to come play with us. We just won the title like we're the center of the basketball universe. He's not he's not looking around and seeing green grass anywhere else. He's saying we have the best freaking lawn in the league. That's what happens when you're in Southern California. That's the history and the legacy of that organization. So, so let me ask milk you, it while they can. Michael, let me ask you because, you know, put the Celtics fan part aside, is this good for the NBA though? And this is why I was kind of asking on the winners and losers. Do we mm-hmm. feel like winners and losers coming out of this? Because I think one of the big takeaway as we're you know, giving all the, the, the plaudits to Rich Paul and Rob Palinka and their great offseason. Like, how are we feeling about competitive balance right now? If you're a small market team, you're looking at what the Lakers did and you're saying never in a million years would we have been able to get the guys on these prices that they got, right? The, the rich got richer. Um, you know, if you're a, a second or a third tier team, you're just struggling to kind of keep your guys. If you're Denver, you're watching as Jeremy Grant goes out the door. If you're Boston, you're watching as Gordon Hayward goes out the door. You know, some of these other teams are just sort of kind of treading water, doing whatever they can to, to keep up. And here's LA just making this string of, of transactions that definitely kind of tighten their grip on the title chase. 
is that good for the NBA? I mean, it's not like they're breaking any rules, but are we in a situation where the competitive balance part is is maybe being lost a little bit? I don't think so, no. I mean, I kind of view the Western Conference as even more competitive than it was last season. Like, I think that this is an arms race. I think that there are some loaded teams out there that have filled some significant holes that'll be really tough to beat four times in seven tries, regardless of what team you are. So I don't even really see it that way. I And I don't really see, you know, I the Lakers are the defending champions, and I think they had a really good offseason on paper. I don't necessarily view them as like a titanic favorite to repeat as champions, though. I just don't. I think there are a lot of really good teams in the West. I don't think the NBA, I mean, to your point about competitive balance, I don't think the NBA is really built right now to have a team go on a dynastic run. And so, like, there are other teams in the West that are very, very good that have made really smart moves to kind of... Uh, knock the Lakers off the throne. So I wouldn't be surprised either way. But I, I get what you're saying and what your point is. Yeah, I guess it's maybe this is more of a concern, not about the second and third tier teams who are, you know, doing what they can. It's more like, you know, if you're a fan of the Charlotte Hornets and you've got to pay Gordon Hayward $120 million for four years when he's coming off injuries, he's already 30. And then you're just looking at the price that the Lakers are paying for their ta- talents. It's just, you feel like it's two different worlds, right? And I can understand why that would sort of breed resentment. I can understand in general why the Lakers as a franchise would sort of breed resentment and, you know, them coming out of the bubble, winning the title, and then immediately being declared the offseason winners by everyone. I think that's going to rub some people the wrong way. We'll see. Um, Who was your biggest loser as a team of the opening, you know, three or four days of free agency? A team that either, you know, missed out on a key opportunity or took a big step back or, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, just didn't do what they needed to do or spent way too much money, uh, who, who would you say would be the biggest loser? I have two. Uh, one of them has a little bit of an asterisk on him because we don't know what's going to happen with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, but the Bucks, I think, are a loser. Um, and again, if Giannis signs a Supermax, then whatever. They're obviously not losers. Um, but, you know... They lost Wes Matthews. They replaced Wes Matthews with Bryn Forbes, which is a fine deal. But I think that just goes back to the Bogdan Bogdanovich just complete whiff and giving up all they did for Drew Holiday when we have not yet heard that Drew Holiday has, you know, uh, extended with them or anything like that. So basically you give up your entire future for a guy who's made one all-star team and could leave next summer in free agency. Um, again, I, I like some of the other moves that they made with some of the flexibility, um, you know, adding Tory Craig, um, and that's someone who can, you know, guard Jimmy Butler when Coach Bud refuses to move Giannis onto him. Um, but I, look, like, <laughs> I don't know, man, like they lost a lot of pieces here as well. And if Giannis doesn't, I mean, I think that they were a lot more confident in re-signing Giannis before Bogdan kind of backed out, and now he might go to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I can't call them a winner until until Giannis signs on the dotted line there. No, look, they're losers. There's absolutely no way around it. Here's the thing. The arms race for superstar talent in the NBA usually involves, we're going to go find another superstar to play with you, right? So, like, Kawhi Leonard gets Paul George. LeBron James gets Anthony Davis. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving team up. And now James Harden wants in on it, right? Like that's sort of the standard. And it's a ridiculously high bar for a small market organization like Milwaukee in a cold weather climate. 
to try to live up to. So they're zagging in their overall strategy. They're saying, look, we can't get Giannis a Ferrari, okay? But we're going to get him a high efficiency Tesla, right? And we're going to be able to have a really nice, look, it's not going to be a superstar laden lineup, but it's going to have Holiday, it's going to have Bogdanovich, it's going to have Middleton, it's going to have Lopez. All these guys are similarly aged. They're all going to grow together. There's four plus defenders. There's four shooters around Giannis. There's a bunch of good guys. Um, It's going to be a Spurs model, lots of balance. It's going to work out great. That pitch sounds phenomenal, but when you take Bogdanovich out of it, now you're not even a Tesla. Now you're just driving a Ford Taurus like I did coming out of college, right? Now you're just kind of plugging in, uh, like you're saying, Forbes and DJ Augustin and these other guys who not only are they not as enticing or as appealing to a superstar level player like Giannis um, as Bogdanovich would have been, but they're just not even in the same ballpark as the superstar level guys that uh, his uh, contemporaries, you know, Kawhi and, and LeBron and KD are getting to enjoy. So this forces a real decision for Giannis. Was it the thought that counts, right? Can you look at Bucks ownership and the Bucks front office and say, you know what, guys, you had my best interest in heart. You came up with a really good plan. You just really bungled it. You couldn't you couldn't pull it together, but it was a great idea. And so therefore, because you've come up with this good plan this year, maybe we'll take another shot next year. And I'm going to trust my future with you guys because you came up with such a good plan. Was it the thought that counts or is it the results that matter, right? If Giannis is saying, look, you've got to do better than DJ Augustin and Bryn Forbes, right? And you've got to do better than all these headlines about a tampering investigation because of a botched sign and trade. Like that's just not living up to the standard that I would demand um, as a free agent. That's that's sort of where he stands. And the thing about Giannis, he's never made these huge moves that he wants to be a power broker. We see LeBron and KD and even Kawhi now. They want to be player executives, right? It's like, hey, we're picking our teammates, assembling these rosters and everything else. Giannis just wants to be a player. He seems like he's wanted to be a player the entire time. He's never advocated for his coach to be fired. He's never kind of made any noise that way. Um, he talked with ownership before he he went away for uh, his offseason break this year. Wasn't like a list of demands came out from that meeting. And so it's possible that he says he, he takes away from this week. Look, they tried. It just didn't work out. We did get better with Holiday, so therefore I'm cool and I'm ready to resign. That's definitely possible, but it was not that overwhelming kind of slam dunk feeling from the front office to like cinch up this long-term agreement with Giannis. And um, I cannot wait to see what he decides. I guess I'm leaning towards the idea that he will still resign, but this group around him is, is the best he's ever had, which isn't saying a ton, and it's still not that great. Uh, I, you know, there's some other things about the Bucks that I don't want to step on for because we're going to go down the categories here and they're going to probably pop up again well, for me. Surpri- um, surprise me, Michael. H- hop into one of those other categories. You could pick your card, any card. Which one do you want? <laughs> All right. Well, I got two real quick. Um, uh, my runner up for best executive is uh, every GM who improved their team while maintaining flexibility to get Giannis because they believe that they can get Giannis. So that's Pat Riley, Masai Ujiri, and Donnie Nelson, who were really patient, hey, wait really a shrewd. I- what about the Knicks? Yeah. <laughs> what about the Knicks? Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I was kind of serious, though. Don't they deserve I, to be on the list? I mean, they did literally nothing. They're still in position for Giannis. 
Um, no, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't go there. Uh, I shout out to Austin Rivers for getting a little bit of money. Um, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm not. <laughs> I just can't include the Knicks on any list that is uh, favorable to uh, decisions that they made. Um, it's not like Alec Burks is really like, uh, or maybe Alec Burks is Giannis's best friend and we just don't know that could be possible. But, um, no, uh, so the, I mean, shout out to those three GMs. I think that the, their ability to kind of not go overboard in free agency and, and, um, really maintain flexibility with short-term contracts was really smart. Um, and then (laughs) my least favorite fit uh, which was a different category we were going to discuss. Uh, Bobby Portis on the Bucks. Um, I just can you can you can you walk me through this one? Like, has anyone in Milwaukee ever watched Bobby Portis play basketball, or like, what is the deal here? Like, I, I'm I'm well, speechless. The still. deal is that it's the most depressing deal that was signed over the weekend because they went from the thrill of the chase of Bogdan to the backup <laughs> plan was Bobby Portis. And that's like if you went house hunting uh, with your wife, Michael, and you showed her this beautiful white picket fence house. And look, I mean, it's not three stories, right? But it's three bedrooms, two bathrooms. It's everything you guys have wanted. You've been saving up for years for it. It looks beautiful. That one goes off the market, right? Because some cash buyer hops in. And so you have to take her around the corner and there's a house that doesn't have a roof. I mean, there's just water going straight into the kitchen from the clouds uh, up in the sky. Uh, you've got rattlesnakes in the front yard. And I mean, that you're, you're, I'm torturing this analogy, but you're getting my point. The The second house is Bobby Portis and the first house is Bogdan. Like <laughs> big, big downgrade. Um I would have maybe waited an extra week to announce the Bobby Portis move just so it didn't hit the fan base quite as hard as it did. I think the way you're justifying it is he can kind of shoot and everybody has to shoot in Milwaukee (laughs) and he's physical and they don't have a lot of physicality in their second unit front court. Um, So if you need someone to get ejected for hitting someone, Bobby Portis is your guy. Strange culture fit, strange move. They had a- <laughs> sold. I'm sold. Yeah, that's really positive. Um, I no. I mean, he is one of my least favorite players in the NBA, and you know, they. It just shows how desperate they were. You know, they were pulling out every stop when they got to the backup plan stage of the summer because I'm sure they planned on uh, Bogdanovich being their guy, and they were all going to go home and celebrate. And it just went completely the other way. Honestly, it felt like an anxiety dream. I don't know if you've ever had those where like you wake up in the middle of the night and it's, you know, it's your dream was my final exam is coming and I haven't studied all semester and I've got to, you know, cram for like two hours to get this thing done. And you wake up and your heart is pounding. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm not going to graduate. Right. Um, that's sort of what happened to the Bucks, like in their real life. You know, they just. So it's just like John Horace just waking up in a cold sweat, waking his wife up to be like, did we just sign Bobby Portis with our biannual exception? Yeah. Is that like what we just actually did? Oh, he's he's like, is this a real email? Am I really being investigated for tampering for Bogdan Bogdanovich? <laughs> like, why did we leak this thing four days early? Like, I, I think there's some genuine, there's got to be some genuine stress and heartbreak there. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and just like different stories that come out of it because it was so messy. Ultimately, like the actual details of how it fell apart don't matter. All that matters is Giannis doesn't get a play with Bogdan Bogdanovich, just like he doesn't get a play with Malcolm Brogdon because he traded him away the previous summer. So, um, you know, if Giannis was a conventional superstar holding his front office to account and, you know, kind of keeping score on all of this, he's looking at those guys saying, come on, you've got to do better than this. And 
uh, you know, he may wind up well, he, uh, he, he may wind up saying that in three weeks when he has to line up next to Bobby Portis in practice. It's very possible. No, exactly. I mean, actions speak louder than words, and he has the most leverage right now of any individual in the entire NBA. And to your point about the Bucks should have waited a week to announce the Bobby Portis signing, I would have waited until after Giannis signed his Supermax, and then I would have <laughs> announced it, and I would have let everybody know what we just did. Wait, so you give, um, you give him a jersey with no name on the back, and he just shows up to training camp? <laughs> You let him. Um, you let him get his name on the back as soon as uh, as soon as Giannis has resigned. Um, let's get back on track here. Did you have a favorite deal? I guess from the player's perspective. So, which player was the biggest winner? This is kind of easy for me, oh. um, and maybe I, I'm overlooking someone else who was in a better situation. But I, like Gordon Hayward is easily the biggest winner for me. Well, um, I feel differently. Uh, I, oh. I, I mean, look, he has to go play for the Charlotte Hornets with LaMelo Ball. That doesn't sound very fun. Okay, so if you're Gordon Hayward, you opt out. Look, <laughs> four years, $120 million. I mean, that's basically my whole argument here. He gets an expanded role on a team that can still still make the playoffs, and they'll get promptly smacked in the first round, um, and that's basically their ceiling. Are they going to make the playoffs? Are we sure? I I don't know they they will contend for the eighth seed is how I will put it. Um, I, I can and see I think them that, losing by 20 points in a play-in game. You know, that's that's I feel like that's their destiny. It's like, hey, we're the 10th seed in the play-in play game. Here we go, pushing, here we go. And then Hayward goes like six for 18 and they lose by 20 points in the play-in no, game. No, look, it's like, what do you want me to say? Like, I'm not trying to be like Charlotte is <laughs> a juggernaut. <laughs> I mean, but like, if you're Gordon, I, I'm st- I don't know about you, I was absolutely floored when I saw when the Woj tweet came across my phone. $120 million for Gordon Hayward, like after the three years he spent in Boston that were just, you know, it was a roller coaster ride and uh, there were ups and downs. And uh, frankly, I, if I could use one word to describe it, it would be bizarre. Um, I'm not saying Gordon is a bad player, but I am saying that when you spend $120 million on someone at his age and with his ability who is not nearly as athletic and will never be as athletic as he was when he was an all-star in Utah ever again, like you really cap your team's potential over the next few years. Um, so like, but shout out to him because that's his money. And that's why I, I picked him as the biggest yeah. winner because that's a lot of money. We're going to judge whether he is a winner based on his expression in mid-January. All right. We're going to go back. We're going to watch a couple of their games and see how he's feeling. I mean, 30 years old playing with a 19-year-old LaMelo ball. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Here's my counter. I've got a better winner for a player, Michael, okay. because I'm not only did he get his cake like Gordon Hayward, he's going to be able to eat it too. That's Fred Van Vliet up in Toronto. Mm. Four years, yes. $85 million. First of all, undrafted guy gets the, finally gets the big cash out. He had even told everybody, look, I've won a title. I want to cash out. He made it very clear, and he did. He's a perfect fit there, fan favorite. Um, I think the organization wins. He wins. They're going to still be on track as a winning team. And I think it would have been just as depressing to watch Van Vliet play for the Knicks or the Bulls or some other team that just doesn't really have enough around him. He's he's kind of in that Hayward camp where, like, if he had to be the lead guy, it's not going to work out very well, right? I mean, he's good, but he's not that good. And it would have been kind of sad and depressing, like the Hayward thing's going to be in Charlotte for me. 
knowing that he gets to stay in a place that kind of helped you know, cultivate his rise that got the most out of him, that put him in positions to succeed and where he really delivered time and again at various points over the last few years, including during that 2019 title push. I was just happy it came together that way. I felt like that was one of the cleanest matches. And, uh, you know, it would have just, if he had taken, you know, four and 120 to go play for some bad team, something like that, I just would have been like happy for him because he got his money and then also been like, well, now I don't have to care about Fred Van Vliet for the next two and a half years, and I'm just glad it didn't come to that. That's an excellent call, and and when I said I might have overlooked someone, I guess I did overlook someone. I mean, don't beat yourself up, like, Michael. It's okay. <laughs> this is the best story for sure of the off season so far. It couldn't have happened to a cooler dude and a better player. And I'm really, really, really uh, happy for him that he got it in Toronto, as you said, as opposed to having to play for the Knicks like that's just that's what nobody wants so um this is this is like a win-win for everybody who is the biggest loser from a player standpoint so we're talking about guys who got their money and a good fit was there someone who either didn't really get paid is having a weird fit um you know kind of they've been waiting I mean who would you say maybe got the short end of the stick here this past week I mean, this is also a really easy one for me, and it isn't like a super sexy name or anything, but if you're JaVel McGee, you just got traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like, that's just straight up the absolute worst-case scenario for any player right now in the NBA. Um, So he's, like, easily just in, like, he's probably, I mean, this is the saddest NBA player right now. Would you agree? That is a great call. Not even considered that one. I mean... What's your reaction if you're in that situation? Do you kind of like text your agent and say like, do I have to report? Like, how does it work? Like, what are the rules around it? Like, are you trying to (laughs) see if you, how aggressive are you being and not following through? Because, I mean, that's a tough spot to be in. The, the, the lead guards there are not going to be making your life easy. Going from LeBron to Colin Sexton <laughs> as a center who can't create his own offense is like as harsh as it can possibly get. Um, going from LA to Cleveland, some would argue could be a downgrade. Um, yeah, that's a, I don't think that can no, be topped, honestly. I, I sat in a hotel lobby at All-Star Weekend with JaVale McGee uh, a couple All-Stars ago and interviewed him all about his uh, burgeoning career as a hip-hop producer. And I think right about now is that time where he should hang him up and just commit 100% of his energy to making beats. Lock, that would be my Lock himself in the studio? <laughs> exactly. Well, hey, look, <laughs> land is a lot cheaper in Ohio than it is here in Southern California. So maybe he can build himself a world-class studio and have a great time, bring some of his teammates in. I'm sure Andre Drummond would like to get in on that action. Um, I think you nailed that one, Michael. So let's move forward. Did you have a favorite fit uh, for a player and a team together? In other words, like a targeted acquisition where it's just like, oh, yeah, this makes total sense. Did you have one of those? I have a few of them, um, a few honorable mentions, and then a fav- my favorite favorite I think is going to catch you by a little bit of surprise, but... Um, I want to just highlight Chris Dunn, one of the better defenders at his position uh, in the NBA, coming off a really great season before uh, he suffered a knee injury that was a huge bummer. I mean, I was surprised that the Chicago Bulls didn't offer him a qualifying offer. Um, Really good former lottery pick player. Uh, Obviously, there's offensive issues there, but if you're the Atlanta Hawks, like you don't really care that much because you need defenders right now to 
make up for your franchise player's shortcomings. So Chris Dunn is just a perfect fit in Atlanta. Um, I liked Jay Crowder to Phoenix quite a bit. And I like the mentality of what they're trying to do there, getting a veteran who just played well in the playoffs, who made it into the finals and was on the floor um, in the fourth quarter for just about every game. Uh, That's a huge boost to your organization as you're trying to take a step forward. And uh, he's just another 3 and D guy who really fits well in what they're trying to do there. Um, I do like uh, Tristan Thompson to the Celtics. We don't need to belabor this but just great simple one. and straightforward great yeah. one I simple mean, and straightforward you guys yeah. needed him right and i think going from enos canner to tristan thompson that you've got to be feeling pretty good right i mean just he i have memories of him completely obliterating the celtics on the boards for years when lebron was in cleveland um in the playoffs and so i think he had an underrated season last year just because no one watched the Cleveland Cavaliers play basketball um, but he was pretty good I was watching some film of him the other day um, so that's good and then uh, my last honorable mention real quick is just Robert Covington to oh, Portland Michael just, you stole mine come on bud I, I'm sorry man that was just a I mean that's just like a common sense no-brainer really good decision by Neil O'Shea in Portland yeah uh, that's exactly what they need what I would say with the Blazers they've had some good they've had some bad they've had some ugly off seasons when they've been trying to move the pieces around Lillard and McCollum I would say this year qualifies in that good category I mean Covington is exactly what they needed as you mentioned versatile front court defender to handle other teams wings they just did not have that got absolutely destroyed in the playoffs because of it Um, I think Derek Jones Jr. kind of helps in that regard a little bit not the world's greatest defender but you know again athletic long uh, versatile you know plugs a hole that just kind of has been Mm -hmm. sitting there on the, the rotation they're bringing Zach Collins and Nurkic back healthy this year. They re-signed Carmelo Anthony and Rodney Hood. Um, you know, they add a draft pick. Like, you just add it all up. They're, Harry Giles, too. Harry and Giles. Harry Giles on a minimum, which is a fine flyer. I think that's the kind of move everybody gets excited about on Twitter and winds up not being that big of a deal, right? I remember everybody freaking out when they got Scal, too, right? Um, you know, Scal never really amounted to anything in Portland. But you add all those things up. Every single one of those moves fits. Adding Cantor as a backup, you know, sort of situational big guy, I think he had some success with Portland. Terry Stotts used him pretty well. Uh, he's not going to help you in the playoffs very much, but he's going to give you minutes, uh, you know, along the way. Basically, every move they made fits, uh, both from a basketball perspective, also kind of a personality perspective. And it just, again, it was clean. I just admired the efficiency because they were going one after another after another here in the opening weekend. I put Portland into that category of the biggest winners, and I'm with you. I think that Covington is a great fit for them. And hopefully... um, you know, their culture winds up being better for him than Houston's was. I thought a, a big part of the problem uh, for the Rockets is they just kind of all quit on each other last year, right? And I think Portland's shown a pretty uh, a good ability to handle adversity together. And I think for a player like Covington, if he's going to shine through, he needs to be in a in a situation where everybody's you know, rolling the same direction, right? And mm-hmm. uh, he winds up looking not very valuable at all in the playoffs because, look, you have to play a five-man defense and, you know, two or three guys on that team were just quitting in the middle of that series and, and now he's not going to give you very much value. I think Portland's uh, culture will, will kind of uh, better show off what Covington's able to do uh, than we saw last year. And now my absolute favorite fit that is potentially going to surprise you, Ben. I don't know how you're going to feel about it. I love Derek Favors going back to the Utah Jazz. Ooh. And 
I am, uh, those that know me well know that I have a soft spot for Derek Favors. I just, there's something about his game that I've always loved. I think he's one of the more reliable players. I, I mean, obviously, win, caveat, win healthy uh, at his position in the league, one of the more uh, underappreciated players um, in the entire NBA. And like, he really his departure last year to New Orleans in Utah was just it was felt it was he was sorely missed in a lot of different ways bringing him back I think shores up a hole on this team that was huge and like one of the more understated uh, uh, parts about this deal that fascinate me is we all know that Rudy Gobert is up for a contract uh, pretty soon and you know, if those negotiations go south, all of a sudden the Utah Jazz do have leverage with a starting caliber five man um, in Derek Favors, who knows their system and has succeeded and excelled at it. So, I I I think the Jazz should be viewed as a contender, honestly, a legitimate contender um, after this move and some of the other moves that they obviously made as well. But this one's just a really big one to me. Yeah, look, they brought back Clarkson and they got Donovan to sign the full five-year, uh, you know, rookie max extension. So they're feeling yeah. great about life. And there's, there's no doubt. I think they are a little bit of a sleeping giant. Well, maybe not full giant. Um, sleeping large person, let's call them that, because, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they had some injury issues going into the playoffs. They're bringing people back. Favors is a nice addition. I wouldn't go so far to say as they're like a you know a top level contender, but they're right there in the mix at the top of the second tier for the Western Conference, in my opinion. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. 
Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner. The rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. One other interesting fit I'm curious where you come down on. What about Stephen Adams next to Zion in New Orleans? Like, Can you imagine the size of the ice bags you're going to need after battling those guys in the paint, (laughs) Stephen Adams and Zion Williamson? That sounds like a painful night. They're going to probably have some spacing and fit issues, I would imagine, on offense just because Adams has no stretch and and Favors at least has a little bit of stretch. Zion is not really a shooter at this point of his career. Um, Are you up or down on that pairing? It it, it feels like uh, just the Bash brothers almost. It's so funny you bring this up because uh, I actually noted in my outline here um, under biggest winners right after Gordon Hayward, I have Steven Adams. I I think he's a huge winner (laughs) getting traded to New Orleans, um, getting to be the starting center on a team with Zion, as you said, instead of languishing in Oklahoma City with their rebuild. Uh, He could have been traded to a lot worse destinations. Um, So it's just nice to see him. I know this is an expiring uh, year for him and it's a contract season um, and as you said the fit is not like perfect but I feel like defense is going to be um, kind of the the priority here in New Orleans this season with Stan Van Gundy coming in and so I wouldn't be surprised if Adams plays a ton of minutes um, so I just I, I think he is in a really good spot for sure one last one I keep coming up with these off the top of my head Josh Richardson in Dallas after that trade I think he mm. just fits what they needed. Um, big hole in the wing, need for a versatile defender. I think his three-point percentage shooting is going to go up playing off of Luka. And I just I think that's exactly what the team needed. It's a much better fit for him where he doesn't have to worry about, you know, Simmons's, uh, you know, cramps floor or, you know, Embiid's cramped floor. Uh, Richardson just didn't seem particularly enthused or happy or comfortable in that Philly uh, environment uh, during the bubble can't really blame them the fits obviously didn't work because they you know completely reversed course this offseason but I think that's a really nice landing spot I just want to say like if I was a a three and d player like a Josh Richardson I would want to play with Luca he is going to make you look better and as he gets more refined and advanced in his career setting guys up uh, we're going to start to see guys cycle through that role just like they have alongside a, a James Harden and a LeBron James all right Let's get a little bit more negative and nasty, Michael. Your Good. least favorite fits between player and team. Who just botched it? Who who went out there and grabbed somebody that just doesn't make any sense? Um, I mean, <laughs> the Detroit Pistons are just, if I were to describe their offseason so far, they are a plate of spaghetti that was frisbee tossed at a concrete wall. I have absolutely no idea what they did, what they're trying to do, what they value. I was texting somebody about them and just described them as 
four or five different GMs all believing that they were the only GM in the building negotiating with agents to build their team. I mean, like, what, like, this is another one I'm going to need you to really help me out with because, uh, you know, I applauded them after the draft. I really liked the moves that they made. Yeah. They looked like they were going stop, to slow roll things. Stop right then, there because, we, no, stop right there because we got an email from Anthony in the Philippines, Michael, and he says, it was bad enough to listen to Michael bet against the Lakers the whole time, but now he's saying Detroit's right on track. This is right after the the um, the uh, draft. He said, Anthony continues, have you seen their lineup? They are the second coming of the Knicks with front court players occupying more than half the roster. A lineup full of centers and power forwards makes no sense. You guys need to step it up. So he's coming right at you, Michael. Um, are you are you retracting all praise that you gave for Troy Weaver on draft night and going the other direction now? Yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> I don't blame you. This, right move. Like, what is going on? It it just it's it's uh, it's very troubling. I would say. You know, I have uh, in laws in the Detroit area who are just texting me like, "Is this good?" Like Jaleel Okafor, wow, Mason Plumley, incredible. No, and I just no. have to tell oh, them God, that this no. is just a disastrous. Um, a disastrous few days for this organization, which, I mean, again, I thought that they were going to be patient, slow roll this thing. They just drafted Killian Hayes, one of, like, a, a prospect, one of the younger prospects um, who needed time and patience in the ball, and they just throw $60 million at Jeremy Grant and, and give him a role that I just, I can't help but say is miscast. Um, like, so again, like, where, help me out, Ben. Like, what is going on? Well, Why did they do this? Do you remember that old phrase from John Wooden, never mistake activity for achievement, right? If you're just running around <laughs> and doing a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily mean you've done anything, um, that is brilliant words of wisdom from a brilliant basketball coach. Uh, he hardly needs me vouching for him. I'll say that. Um, I think the problem is Troy Weaver watched Sam Presti just make 35 trades every single year in Oklahoma City, and he was like, well, this is the way we got to do it. We just got to do as many possible things as we can do, and it's all going to work out in the end. And uh, newsflash, it's not going to work out in the end if you spend three years, $60 million on Jeremy Grant. The Jeremy Grant saga, whatever you want to call it, to me is like the biggest lose, lose, lose of the entire free agency period. First of all, Denver needed to keep him. They can't lose Jeremy Grant for equal money to the Detroit Pistons. No one ever signs with the Detroit Pistons for equal money and willingly goes to Detroit. So something was wrong there. They just needed to keep that piece. Jeremy Grant should have wanted to play on a title contender. Denver Nuggets are right there. Why is he going to a Detroit Pistons team? Supposedly, he wants a larger role. I mean, you have no offensive really creativity to your game. You're, Why? you're not a great shooter. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's not going to make you look good. It's not in your long-term best interest. And then Detroit, there's just no possible reason. You know, it, it's not the most damaging spending spree they've ever done. I mean, we saw, you know, the Reggie Jackson situation. Um, obviously, we saw Charlie Villanueva, Ben Gordon, and the list goes on. But John Luer. Yeah, John Luer. John Luer special. John Luer for sure. But Look, it's just brutal, and I, it's not going to work. And I don't know why they're doing it this, that, you know, at all. And if I'm Blake Griffin, I'm sitting around like, what the heck is going oh, on? Tr- trade me. I, I, I like they drafted like they okay. So they take in Trevor Ariza's contract. This is a move that I applauded them for taking in Trevor Ariza's contract, absorbing it, and then drafting Isaiah Stewart, who's in the front court, like. <laughs> I assume that you like Isaiah Stewart as a prospect who's going to play big minutes for you this season, but 
No, you then go out and sign Plumley and Okafor. And oh, by the way, you had Christian Wood. Right. And keeping Christian he's Wood. He's like the best player out of all would of them. Have been, and he's gone now. He, just keeping him and not drafting Stewart and not signing either one of the other guys would have been so much better than what they did. That's yes. what I mean. Like all the activity is just actually leading to a lack of achievement there. So um, hopefully we satisfied our listener in the Philippines. We're right there with you. Okay, buddy, Anthony, uh, everything's good. You're, you're correct. The Pistons make no sense. Um, I think it's also just kind of a. I mean, it's a daunting first week, right? If you're a Pistons fan and you're and you're kind of watching this, like you're just thinking, wait a minute, what? This is, you know, where, where are we going? I think I would be pretty nervous. Um, and hopefully this is just, you know, early stumbling out of the gates for Troy Weaver. He'll settle in and things are going to be okay. But I don't know. I would, uh, it would make me kind of wonder about the entire plan up in Detroit. All right. Um, we mentioned best executive earlier. I gave it to Rich Paul. Did you have a best executive that you want to hand out? Um. Sam Presti. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, I in my notes about Detroit, uh, I wrote that you know what they did just doesn't feel like a singular vision to me. So I'm not going to be too critical of any one person. I do think that there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen in Detroit right now, and so you know, I just wonder. Hence how the spaghetti many analogy. The, hence the spaghetti. There you go. There you go. Um, uh, that's why we we make such beautiful music together, Ben. Um, so I, two figure skaters this is, pirouetting into the <laughs> exactly. night. Look, perfect sync. <laughs> um, so to contrast that with Oklahoma City, where Troy Reaver comes from, this is a singular vision. This is and it is being executed brilliantly. Um, I just like Sam Presti's just picking up first round picks and first round picks in the NBA are currency. They're gold bars. They like, they don't go out of style. Um, he's flipping players. He's grabbing players, flipping them. Um, and at the same time, what is really fascinating, like eventually they're going to have to have players on the team. And, you know, it's, it's probable that George Hill is, is flipped eventually here for another first round pick. But right now, George Hill's on the team right now. Uh, Al Horford is, is on the team at the five. And they still have Shea Gilgis Alexander. So, like, I kind of view this team as, like, I don't think they're good at all. And I don't think that they will make the playoffs or compete for a postseason spot at all. I do think that they are, if they hold on to Hill and Horford, like, those are just two really, like, great character guys. And if you're young and you are rebuilding like they are learning from just the disaster that was the first few seasons of the process where like a lot of off-court issues happened with those players who had absolutely no guidance and no direction from veterans in the locker room. So if you are able to uh you know make sure everyone you have who's young stays on track and builds good habits, that's really important. And so, you know, I think there is a value to keeping George Hill and keeping Al Horford not that it's like um your choice because no one wants Al Horford. Um, but like, I just, I think that that's a, 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 an aspect of this rebuild that we're seeing that so far is pretty smart to me. Can I tell you how I want the, all this draft uh, asset accumulation to end? Yes. I want a record draft day trade. You know, we've got Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State coming into next year's draft, and then we probably have uh, Amani Bates coming in to the following year's draft, and he's basically being viewed as the next Kevin Durant. I want Sam Presti to shatter every 
record for most assets <laughs> given up in a single draft to get one of those two players. Um, I think there would be a nice, beautiful, like full circle feel if he's able to get Bates because he's the next KD and that kind of completes the cycle from 2016, right? Um, but the local guy, Cade Cunningham, would also be obviously a, a pretty exciting, uh, uh, you know, move for the for the Thunder fan base. Either way, I want like the Ricky Williams style trade that we saw like 20 years ago in the NFL. I want Sam Presti to give up 14 first round picks, right? Or some just ludicrous number to maybe move up from like five to one to make sure he can get that guy. And everyone will always say, well, look, I mean, these are, you know, longtime franchise players. Like, you know, they're worth more than almost anything. Look, every situation has a price. And I want Sam Presti to be able to pay any price for one of those guys. And I think it could be amazing. Can you imagine on draft night, it's like, we have a trade. The Thunder are moving up from the fourth spot to the number one spot so they can draft Emony Bates. And by the way, they're including 14 first round picks and three second round picks and two swaps. Like that would be so awesome. We'd all sit there with our mind blown, don't you think? I mean, yes. I also think that the the Thunder are going to have like the first pick in the next two drafts because they're just going to be that bad. <laughs> so it's yeah, they are in such a beautiful position. And honestly, like I know Bates is from the Detroit area, uh, or at least he's from Michigan. Um, like that's just if you're the Detroit Pistons, this is like what you need to do. You need to be bad for the next. I know it's years. like the Cavaliers to, who were just so ridiculous. The Cavaliers were right on schedule for LeBron, right? It's just like coincidentally, number one pick in the 2003 draft. <laughs> you know, it's like we figured it out. Uh, how they didn't uh, put two and two together, I have no idea. Okay, we have a couple more categories, Michael. We're going to rush through these quick. Um, we took our pot shots at Troy Weaver. Any other nominations for the worst executive guys who just did stuff that you know didn't make any sense? Yes, uh, Jeff Weltman of the Orlando Magic. Oh, okay. Um, by far the worst GM, I thought, or president of basketball operations. Um, maybe I'm being, I know my my verbiage is a little harsh, but sometimes we, uh, you know, we, it's easier to judge moves that are made, right? Like this contract was for X amount of dollars and X amount of years, and that's good or bad, and the fit is good or bad. Um, Jeff Weltman just straight up did nothing, like, and that's terrible to me. Like not doing anything in activity here is uh, it's atrocious. Like he resigns players from a team that went to the playoffs barely uh, and uh, lost uh, handedly in the first round again. Um, Aaron Gordon, Terrence Ross, Evan Fournier, Nick Vucevic, Markel Fultz, Mo Bamba. Like, are you seriously just running this back with Cole Anthony stepping into DJ Augustine's role? Like, is that the master plan here? Like, it is, it's it's awful. Like, I don't, if I was a Magic fan, I would be so fed up with this. Like, you see all the activity going on in the league. You see... Um, no, look, the, I mean, he's treating the, his roster like I treat my hair during quarantine, you know? It's like, eh, I'm not going to bother to cut it. Just, <laughs> just let it kind of grow out and see what happens, you know? Let's see where it stands in two months, right? I mean, that's kind of the approach. And newsflash, my hair looks terrible. <laughs> a banger analogy. Um, but, like, there was a report that the uh, Portland Trailblazers made a similar offer, the one that they made for uh, Robert Covington... Uh, in Houston, they made a similar offer to the Orlando Magic to get Aaron Gordon. It's like, just pull the trigger on that. Get a first round pick. What, like, what is the problem? I don't 
un- I just am so confused by it all. And oh, they've got to sure- they've got to save AG because they're going to host a banner at uh, the Amway Center that's going to say NBA record most unfulfilled rumored trades for one player. He's already up to at least two hundred and forty over the course of his career. It could get higher. We ha- we have no idea where this is going. The the sky is truly the limit here um, in that particular category for him. I I I'm just like super frustrated by this, and I see other teams around the league that are making like in that conference even like what Charlotte did. Like they are active. I don't really I I mean argue with what they did and what their long term prospects are. At least they were active. Um, what the Atlanta Hawks did was really. Uh, uh, interesting, and we didn't really talk too much about it, um, but I liked it overall. And yeah, I want to hop in on that real quick because the Hawks, to me, I didn't like their signings. Uh, Gallo, they paid too much. Rondo, they paid too much, and I just think he's going to be a different player when he's not in that you know focused kind of winning environment of the Lakers, and we've seen him maybe not be his best self in, in losing organizations here over the last few years prior to his Lakers stint. Um, but they had a mandate. They had to make Trey Young's life better, right? He was sick of playing with like 12-year-old kids who just didn't know how to play basketball last year. They're bottom five on offense, bottom five on defense. They had to inject it with something. They had cap space. It was time to spend some of it. And they got reasonable players at sort of slightly unreasonable contracts, right? Um, not not horrible. It's it's something. And as you're mentioning, it's better than what Orlando did, which is nothing. Kind of sit on their hands and, and uh, you know, watch everything pass them by. So, I wouldn't, you know, I didn't like Atlanta's moves that much, but I wouldn't kill them for it because uh, they had pressure. Like they, you know, at some point you've got to give Trey Young a level of stability and structure to feel like he's actually going out there and, and you know, playing professional basketball and, you know, showing some level of, of upward momentum. And I think they did that for Orlando. It just feels like they're spinning the tires, right? Yeah, it's super frustrating. Um, and I understand that they don't have that building block, but like, pick a direction to get one like I, you, you either bottom out or I mean yeah you bottom out that's really their only option right now <laughs> so like I yeah I don't know um yeah and really it, it would make more sense to them. me if their pieces fit too right but they've got all these centers kind of overlapping pieces they've got some obvious holes no point guard uh lack of shooting you know and so you've got to shake up the 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 formula a little bit and they just mm-hmm. didn't mm-hmm. um that said, if they're the team that trades for Westbrook, I'm going to say they should have just stood pat. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm just going to leave it there. I think Troy Weaver was my least favorite executive um, you know, so far. I, you know, I look at some of the other moves. Like I said, I did not like what Charlotte did. Didn't really like what Atlanta did, but I think they get a pass. New York sits on its hands for you know another year, striking out on everybody. So I, I guess you give them demerits there. Um, thought Denver should have found a way to keep Jeremy Grant. I just felt like that was an inexcusable one. Um, past that, I didn't see a, a ton of horrible, horrible moves. The Clippers saved themselves from this category by grabbing Serge Ibaka. They really needed Ibaka. And uh, and frankly, Danny saved himself from this category by grabbing Tristan Thompson too. I mean, if, if he loses Hayward for nothing and uh, doesn't have a center, oof, oof, Michael, it would have been so, kind of fun to pile can, on, can, wouldn't can, it? Can, all right, can we talk two seconds about those two teams before we go? Um, real quick with the Clippers, I, I I like their summer a lot. I think they got, or I should say off season a lot. Uh, I think they got, 
I think they got better. Um, and I don't think that Abaka is a better player than Montrez Harrell. I think he's a little bit more versatile and you know pick and pop versus pick and roll situations and a better rim protector overall. Um, but like just in terms of chemistry. I think that that is a really important factor here, as we know, with the Los Angeles Clippers. We know they have talent, um, and it just wasn't working out chemically with Montrezl Harrell and the Stars. So if you can bring in that sort of production with Ibaka, I think that's a really good move at the money that they paid. Um, and then we already talked about Kennard, I believe, but like that should not be overlooked. He's a really talented player um, who adds uh, some dimensions to the offense that they otherwise would not have had. So I just, I like the Clippers and I'm not like, if I, if you put a gun to my head right now, I'd still potentially pick them to win the championship. It wouldn't completely shock me at all. So um, that's on the Clippers uh, and like with the Celtics, I get the criticism real quick about, yeah, so let's recap know, Kyrie leaves for nothing well you know however you want to phrase that uh uh-huh. i mean could have been addition by subtraction al horford leaves for a major rival um gordon hayward turns down a 30 plus million dollar option um for a team that looked poised to be the favorites in the eastern conference to go sign for a team that probably won't make the playoffs and, and takes the the big cash out obviously horford got the big cash out too Kyrie wanted a change of scenery after some burned bridges that's three pretty, you know, pretty important players over the last couple of years. You can track back and say Danny didn't uh, handle the Isaiah Thomas situation quite right. Maybe angered some people around the league with uh, with trading him and and not taking care of him from a you know a major contract standpoint. Um, okay, so so I guess what some people are saying is this is evidence that Boston isn't quite Shangri La. And I'm curious because, like, look, I thought Jason Tatum was supposed to be this top five guy. Usually everybody flocks to go play with those kinds of players. And here's Hayward with a shot to win a title saying, eh, I'm good. I'd rather take a cash out and go elsewhere. There was going to be big offers available for Hayward next summer if he just waited and picked up his option. So that part was a little bit confusing to me, I got to say. But to defend the Celtics real quick, like, yeah, they lose Kyrie. Um, They managed to turn that into Kemba Walker by sign and trading Terry Rozier, who was, you know, uh, he is Terry Rozier. Um, they, I mean, just look at what happened to Al Horford. Like, was did should the Celtics have re-signed Al Horford to that type of money to convince him to stay? I think that the answer is clearly no. And I think the same thing applies to Gordon Hayward here. I don't think that re-signing him to a four-year or matching that money four years 120 million dollars is the answer here if you're Boston who by the way re-signed Jalen Brown to a really good contract um, and that they'll get really good value out of that and re-signed Jason Tatum to a five-year max extension Um, there was a player option on it which is not perfect but those like that's that's like really good news if you're the Celtics. I just wonder, like, if there's teams out there, you know, Horford's getting attention, Hayward's getting attention. There's all these talks about possible sign-in trades. Like, wouldn't you have liked to get something back in these situations? Um, well, yeah, we, we should also, you know, real quick say that there could still be a sign-in trade situation with Charlotte and Boston for Gordon Hayward. We don't know yet. Um, so well, you better hope we'll not. Kind of- I mean, you don't want you don't want Scary <laughs> Terry back there. I mean, <laughs> what contract are you taking back? They got nothing for you. 
No, but they could. There, you know, there's a situation where you can give a couple second round picks and get a huge thirty million dollar trade exception. Like, there's there's things that can happen to Boston's benefit. So we got to wait for the dust to, to settle before we get too critical here. But um, I do understand the frustration when players are leaving in free agency and there's really not an opportunity to replace them or it's very difficult to replace them but i still think that the celtics are in a really good spot oh, with they, the two best players they, in Jalen and jalen they and definitely Taylor. are but they're right there on the cusp right and it's, so anytime talent mm-hmm. is leaving and you're on the cusp you know there could be that moment that comes back in may and june where you're thinking god if that guy hadn't left you know maybe this thing yeah, plays out sure, differently sure. if you're tatum let me ask it this way if you're tatum and Kyrie leaves you're probably fine with that especially because Kemba proved to be such a great fit Horford leaves I think you probably missed Horford last year I mean inside wasn't great up front I mean Tice did his best but you know come on you know he's, he's Daniel Tice and then now Hayward's leaving you're probably not caring that much because it means more room for you and Jalen and you know he wasn't the, the cleanest fit once he got bumped down to like the, the fourth option but still he's a quality player who you, you would have liked to have in those playoffs had he not gotten injured and he, he showed up every once in a while if you're Tatum clearly you're you're locked in you're viewing yourself as the face of the franchise are you a little bit you know squeamish about how all these things played out like are you wishing that all those guys hadn't departed it for for nothing at this point um, I don't think so. If I'm Jason Tatum, so, to be honest with if you, if you're Jason Tatum, you're just waiting for the first Hornets game so you can go up and dap Hayward and say, "Hey, man, it's great being your teammate," you know, and you're just completely fine and moved on with it. Yeah, like why wouldn't he? Like why would he feel a different way? I mean, well, he's trying to win a title. He wants the legacies. I read an article in Boston.com that his mom says he, he wants to have his jersey <laughs> retire and he wants to have multiple championships on his resume and. This I think is Hayward all, would help. I mean, he would help. No, yeah, that article is a premonition. It's all still going to happen. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, 31-year-old Gordon Hayward is not the key to Jason Tatum's prime being a successful one in Boston, I don't think. So I'm like, I, I still think like you just look at the young pieces that they already have on board. You look at the flexibility that comes in hand with not signing Gordon Hayward to that type of contract. And I still think this is one of the most intelligent, shrewdest front offices in the league. And we'll see what happens. And also, real quick, I want to mention that, you know, Danny Ainge has not had tradable contracts to make moves um, of late over the past few seasons. I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, adding Tristan Thompson here, if Tristan Thompson, Marcus Smart, or some kind of deal like that is able to kind of uh, uh, matriculate now because he's got some some money to move right now. And so that should always, you just keep an eye on that, I would say. For sure. I mean, I, if I was a Boston fan, the number one thing that would concern me about all this is not even just losing these assets, but there was so much hype around that Hayward signing, right? It's like, hey, Boston finally got a free agent. And, uh, and obviously yeah. injuries come into play. There's no way around it. Other factors off the court maybe come into play too. That did not go well for anyone. I mean, that was a pretty nope. rough three-year tenure. And so if you're another high-profile free agent, we know Anthony Davis wanted nothing to do with Boston. But if they're trying to get back in the mix to you know get, like say, a third star uh, to put around uh, Tatum and Brown, maybe going forward the next iteration whenever they pull the plug on the Kemba experience, um, you know, you got to wonder, like, are people still going to view the Celtics like Hayward did in 2017? Is his uh, experience there going to change anyone's opinion about, hey, 
you know, look, Daniel, just trade anybody He's shaking up the roster and roles are going to change. They might tell you one thing and it looks different two years uh, later. I think those kinds of things, they're hanging, you know, Boston's going to have to deal with those a little bit. And Tatum can solve all these problems by fully living up to his potential as uh, you know, the second coming, as you like to describe. So we'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do think it's something that's kind of in the clouds there in Massachusetts. I don't think that's unfair to say. I guess we'll see, Ben. I guess we'll see. It's going to be a, a fun few years ahead. Um, the Celtics should be thrilled that they locked up those two two long-term contracts. And yeah, I think a lot of teams would be very envious of their situation right now. So Eastern Conference power rankings today, where does Boston Ooh. sit? That's a great question. Um, I got them ahead of Toronto because Toronto loses Ibaka and Gasol, which we kind of anticipated. Yeah. Um, they're pretty close to Miami. Miami didn't really add much, um, so that one's pretty tight. I think they're still ahead of Philly. I'm not buying what Philly's selling. They're going to have to prove it on the court. <laughs> they're they're going to have to prove it on the court. I probably still have Milwaukee won by default. Um, is okay. I, okay. I don't know. Like, I still have a lot of faith in in Boston's just mm-hmm. chemistry and lineup balance and you know all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I I feel like Boston's still my favorite to win the East. I don't know. What, what do you think? I like Boston a lot as well. Um, I think I'm a little higher on Philly than you are, and I'm a little higher on Brooklyn, who we just like never include in in these discussions, but we probably should start doing that. Um, So them for sure. And I mean, I have nightmares already about Drew Holiday just putting the clamps on Kemba Walker in a playoff series. As you should. That was was the silver lining for Milwaukee, is that they need to match up with Kyrie, Kemba Walker, Kyle Lowry, and Dragic in the playoffs. Yeah. And they got a pretty yeah. darn good option on any of those guys. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like, I, I guess to answer your question, I'd like Boston to be at the top of the East, first or second seed. Um, maybe third seed again. We'll see. Uh, but they're they're really good and I, you know we'll see what happens with guys like Romeo Langford and Grant Williams and Rob Williams and the, the 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 steps forward that they make next season you mean Peyton Pritchard big step forward it's gonna be of course of course up, of course, upgrade course. from Gordon Hayward at three percent of the price look um all right Michael we've we've reached the end of another episode of open floor guys you can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for open floor that's two words when you find our page scroll down it will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy to help us spread the word now michael's on instagram and twitter at michael vias in victor pina don't forget check out his gq article go grab a print copy maybe take a picture of it send it to michael make his day and that would be very very sweet if you guys did that also email us openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. Let us know who was your best, your worst, your winners, your losers of the free agency period. I'm on Instagram at ben.golliver, on Twitter at ben.golliver. Check out my column on winners and losers on the Washington Post uh, this week. Also, check out my newsletter on the decision that is now facing Giannis Atenacumpo in Milwaukee. All right, Michael, until later this week, I will talk to you. Text in, Ben. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. 
United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.